Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, the topic today of our show is the secret to a well-lived life, and we're going to be talking about all of that with a really special guest, and in fact, a record setter on FOMO Sapiens, my oldest guest ever. Actually, she's broken her own record because when we taped with Dr. Gladys McGarry, which was not too long ago, by the way, she was 102, but I just looked at her website and she has turned 103 years old. So congratulations, Dr. Gladys. Very impressive. Now, her new book is called The Well-Lived Life. 102-year-old doctor, six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Of course, now it's 103, but you know, I'm not going to be a nitpick. Now, here's the story of Gladys McGarry. She's really fascinating. She began her medical practice at a time when women couldn't even own their own bank accounts. And over the past 60 years, she has pioneered a new way of thinking about disease and health that has transformed the way we imagine healthcare and self-care around the world. She's the co-founder of the American Holistic Medical Association, and she has mentored everybody from Dr. Mark Hyman to Edith Eager and has helped hundreds of patients live happier and healthier lives. She has a 10-year plan, by the way. She's going to at least 112, 113, and that 10-year plan is focused on a healthier and more joyful future for all. Now, what you're going to get out of this episode, you know, we talk about in this season how to crush it without getting crushed. Well, part of that is taking care of yourself. And so Dr. McGarry talks about our health. She talks about the mind-body connection, and she has so much wisdom because she, she's been doing this for ages, working with patients. She's a total trailblazer. And I think what I love about her the most, it was very cool. Like she shows up on the podcast recording platform I use called Squadcast. You know, she figured out the tech. It was very cool. She got a little help, but I just was very impressed just how, I don't know, how everything she had to say just felt so so oriented towards today. You know, she's been around for a long time. She's seen it all. So she has the beauty of perspective. Now, here's my small ask for you. Go to the doctor. 
talked about this on Full Mendes this week. Go to the doctor. It's important. I just went to all my doctor's appointments, and I'm glad I did. Feeling much better knowing that everything is good. And if something were wrong, preventative medicine is the cure, at least to many things, just getting there early. All right, so go do that. Please do that for me. And while you're there, perhaps you will subscribe and like this podcast or share it with somebody who needs to hear the wisdom of Dr. McGarry. All right, and now on to the interview. As you know, I like to start every interview with the same question. So I started by asking Dr. Gladys this, what's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? I had to trust my own voice. Mm. And it took me 93 years to decide that I could really trust my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) So don't give up. I want to ask you about that because, um, you know, for anybody who's not 93, we're thinking, oh boy, well, we have a lot of time before we get there. So what was it that happened at 93 that, that brought you to trust your own voice? Well, let me take you back to what caused the problem of Mm -hmm. not trusting it. Mm -hmm. When I started grade school, I found out that I was dyslexic because I Mm -hmm. couldn't read or write or add figures because nothing nothing stayed put on the page. And so I had to repeat first grade so that I had two years in first grade with the same teacher who called me the class dummy. Mm. So I really, really didn't trust my own voice. On the other hand, in my home, I trusted my own voice. I knew who I was at home and I was respected and the native, you know, in India, I grew up in the jungles of North India and the people respect all of that. I had that 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 uh, grounded me. But in school, I was the class dummy for two years. And so it um, what what happened then was that for years, I would make a statement that I really felt was true. But I would, I'd try to um, deflect that by saying, "Well, what Bill said was this is it, or what uh, Alice said was that." You know, I would constantly deflect it, and I finally realized that what I was doing by deflecting it was denying it. But I was ninety-three years old before I realized that. Wow, that's that's amazing. But I was still doing it. I was still speaking mm-hmm. it. Now, now, Dr. Gladys, you, you start the book, which, you know, I, The Well-Lived Life, with a really important statement that struck me, which is that you say there's no secret to a long and healthy life, but it's about perspective and, it, and it's about fulfilling one's purpose. So let's start right. there. Talk about why you wrote that. Well, I knew when I came into this world that I came in, when I was two, I was a doctor. And I, so I had my little patients and all that kind of stuff. So I came in knowing that, but I had to reclaim it as I went through life. So I had lessons to learn. And uh, fortunately, a family that supported who I was. But my mother was amazingly gifted in her ability to see what she could do to support what I was working through. So 
I had the support at home and the, and, and so I had sort of the split process of trusting what I really knew was my home base and I could really trust that. But what the world accepted of me was something else. And then that was the whole process of, of what I was working with for years and years and years. And, and on top of which, I was a woman in the field of medicine, didn't accept women. So, yeah how is how has that changed? Because you you know you you're called the mother of holistic medicine, and I have to th- I have to think, you know I I mean the, the world the, the acceptance or the Except is not maybe not the right term, but the openness of people to thinking, wow, there might be another way to do these things that's a lot better for us. That feels relatively new. When you were starting, we're talking in the 50s, you know, it was a totally different world. Like, how has that changed over time, just the way that you've been able to practice your life's work in medicine? Well, really, we're talking, talking about the 40s. Okay. Because I went to medical school as World War II started. Uh, to Women's Medical College in Philadelphia, mm. the only medical school for women. But the, 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 the purpose for the medical school was that we women were, had to be tougher than the men because we weren't going to be accepted, which was true. So when I gradu- well, when I started medical school, there were 50 of us students and only 25 of us graduated. But What we were told and which we really had to accept was the fact that we were not, it was going to take a long time before women women were accepted as physicians. My first uh, internship, I was uh, really, the way I was treated was amazing. But, you know, you live through it and you learn and you grow and little by little people accept you. But then even at that point, I, when I was really looking at that, there were a whole group of us who realized that the medicine that we were being taught was missing something. It was, mm. it understood about the body and it understood about the mind pretty much, but it had no concept about the whole, the whole inner part of our being, which was the spirit. So that was missing, and there were a whole group of us who began then in the 50s to talk about uh, the reality that the healing had to come from way within each person, and that um, there was a missing part of it. So when we started talking about holistic medicine, it took us two years to decide how to spell it, because uh, the <laughs> word that we were looking for the root word was health, healing, and holy. And it was that aspect of medicine that was missing that we were weaving into our practice of medicine as we were beginning to understand what it was that we were talking about. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. So many people are, you know, searching for that balance, whether it's, you know, it's, it's, it's combining the health with the emotional well-being. It's about, and you see there's a million fads. There's a, every, you know, I'm sure you've seen in your, in your time, you know, it was like probably there was a eat all meat all the time. Then it was eat all vegetables all the time. Then it was, you know, meditate. Then it was don't meditate. Then it was smoking was probably good for you. Then it was bad for you. There's always so much noise and information around how we take care of ourselves. Obviously, some is scientific, some is not. But as you, you know, folks listening here today who are trying to live better, healthier lives along the principles that you have practiced your medicine their entire your entire career, like what are the what what is the what is your sort of advice to people as they think about their their health? The basic aspect is to trust yourself. Mm. Um, my oldest son is a retired orthopedic surgeon. When he came through Phoenix, he asked, he said, Mom, you know, I'm going into the world. I I, I don't know if, uh, if I can handle that. I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. And I said to him, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to use this amazing tool that you have been, you've studied and you understand and you know orthopedics and you know orthopedic surgery. All of these things are amazing. If you use your knowledge and to the best of your ability and then support the patient as the doctor within them, the physician within them, supports their healing because we as physicians can reach out to a patient and the patient has the right and the responsibility to accept or reject what we are offering them. But when they accept it and we're listening to what they're saying, then the healing begins with the aspect of love, which is the great healer. Native Americans have always known that the greatest healer is love. So no matter which modality, whether it's chiropractic, osteopathy, allopathic, med- you know, whatever you've been trained and that rings true to you, so that's what you're using. If you're using your tools to the best of your ability and the patient accepts them at the essence of their aspect of acceptance, then they can live with it and become healthier or actually deal with it. But sometimes they have an illness that they'll never get over. But that's not what they need to do. You know, look at Franklin Roosevelt. 
he had post polio syndrome and he became president. So our our when when we realized in the field of holistic medicine that we were still fighting the war against disease and pain, we realized that that was not where, where our energy should be. It's what does the disease or pain teach us so that we can live and become not not just get over something, but live with the lessons that we have learned that that specific aspect of our being has taught us, and then go on with our lives. What I love about what I heard there, and I think for anybody, you know, just trying to be mindful of your health is this is not your doctor's problem. This is your, you need to be in it. You're collaborating with your doctor on your well-being. Absolutely. And so- so that that mindset shift, because I think a lot of times people forget that you need to go to the doctor to get your checkup, to get the info, to then make a plan. But it's going to be you living in your body every day. Like it's the doctors off doing what they do. And, and you know what we've done to, to birthing? We've totally taken away the woman's concept of what it is to give birth, to be the one that births a baby. We think... We have to be delivered of, mm. think mm. of our language. I still have trouble talking with that because when I started in medicine, we were doing what was called twilight sleep, totally anesthetized. My first two children, uh, I didn't know I had a, a son until he was 24 hours old. I mean, it was so, and so since we were totally anesthetized, Wow. We couldn't push the baby out, so we had to be delivered. And we were—I uh, was really good at using forceps. I could t- take a baby uh, after coming head and be able to deliver that baby. But that's not what. So what we did was take away a woman's power mm. to birth her baby. And to this day, we're still talking about delivering babies. When I, and I'm trying to learn the lesson, not saying, not say I helped a little or, you know, work to say, well, she birthed her, I helped her birth her baby. Hmm. It's, it's a changing language where we give the power back to the woman and the baby. Don't hmm. forget the babies there. He's cooperating with this. <laughs> yeah, baby has a goal. <laughs> now, oh I, I want to talk about in the book, you have these six profound principles for living that you talk about. And I, we're not going to hit them all because, you know, we want people to go out and buy the well-lived life. But I do want to hit on a couple that for me just piqued my interest. And so I want to start with number two, which is all life needs to move. Talk about okay how you came to that as one of your six principles? Well, I had to learn it myself, you know, but the whole, uh, it's uh, it's the, if I send a patient home and tell them to rest and they go home and that meant they're not to do nothing, they've misinterpreted what I'm saying to them. Mm. If I say go home and rest, resting is something, doing something you take your body into a resting phase it's important to realize that resting is part of allowing life to move 
So it's not stopping doing something. It's taking what is the next step in your path and making it move. It's, it's, it's the whole idea that life has to move. Take, for instance, if you're watching a, a rose climb a trellis and you, and you injure that rose part way up the trellis, it'll die. Hmm. If life isn't moving, it dies. In order for us to have life and live and grow and be, we have to have movement. So our body has to move somehow. I walk uh, 3,800 steps a day with my walker. And uh, I climb steps to go up into my bedroom because it's important for me to keep my body moving. Um, so let's not... Re, not take the, the the statement, go home and rest, as go home and do nothing. It's go home and take a rest. That's doing something. Yeah, use it or lose it, right? I mean, if you don't, if you don't, if you yeah. stop moving, it's like the inertia. I guess. I mean, I'm not a physicist, but inertia tells us that a body a, a object in movement that stops, or if you stop it, it will not resume its movement. Right. All energy moves. Energy mm. to be alive moves. Now, Dr. Gladys, you you also talk about uh, one of your lessons for living is this one I, I thought was very timely given the last couple of years of the pandemic, which is you are never truly alone. So talk about that one, please. I think that's a really important one. Mm. <laughs> if you look around and you think you're truly alone, you're not. Look down, you'll find an anthill or, or you'll find lizard or something that's crawling around the ground. The, there's always something that is going around and moving around you. So life moves, but we have to accept the fact that life has to move. And it's that, that uh, companionship of living things that is so essential to our true understanding of life. You know, uh, I kind of look at it like maybe I'm walking down my path and I have a flashlight, and it's a pretty good flashlight, but I may, may see somebody in a nearby path whose flashlight is a little bit is weaker or maybe not quite as strong as mine. If I just add a little bit of my light to their flashlight, it helps their path so so that they can see better what it is that they're traveling. In other words, if we actually understand that we're in this all together, it's it's a amazing, awesome process because there's always somebody, something, some aspect that either can help us or we can help them. And you know, if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. That's what I was just thinking. It's like, if you could feel very lonely and you could get in your car or, you know, walk down the street and go to the local cafe and just say hello to the person next to you. And maybe that ends up being your spouse, right? So it is also on you to step up and say, I'm, you know, recognize that you're feeling lonely and then do something about it. Right, right, absolutely. Reach out to each other. You know, I start I started hugging my patients 
when I started in practice of medicine, I, I know we, we weren't supposed to and we still aren't supposed to and all of that. I never stopped because I felt that it was absolutely essential that the patient knew that I was there for them. FOMO. FOMO. Now, you're, you're, one more that you mentioned, which I specifically chose because I love it, is that you say that we should spend our energy wildly, even if you're 102. So talk about that yeah. one. I, I let, yeah, what does yeah. that mean, spend your energy wildly? Well, if you think that you can save energy like in a bank, it kills it. I mean, that's mm. why it has to move. You have to be able to use your energy. And as you use your energy, it grows. And it's and if you don't use it, that's the whole business of resting. You know, resting is doing something. Actually, if you're trying to think of something and you're just doodling with a pencil on a piece of paper, you're doing something. It's the the doing of something is something that keeps some aspect of your body, mind, and spirit moving. And as you do that, and maybe it's just, just lose, lifting your eyes up a little higher so that you can see some light or uh, whatever it is, but it's that inner understanding that you don't save energy. You don't, you don't lie down and say, well, he said rest, so I'm, I'm done, you know. I'm 45 years old and I'm done. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like that used to be the way. I feel like when my grandparents, you know, God rest their souls, when they retired and they weren't very yeah. old, you know, they're probably, like, I don't know, 60, whatever. They just kind of sat there, <laughs> which is, yeah. which is not, I think, I mean, and now it's not like that. I think it's changed. Yeah. Well, that, I, I agree. But some people uh, sit there glued to the TV. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's watching the TV. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you don't do anything else and you're, you know, you know if nothing else, get a plant and, and, and have it near a window and watch it grow. You know, mm. it's, it, if you can watch something grow, you're doing something. You have something to, to, to take care of. Now, I, I want to ask you about perspective because you have a very unique viewpoint on the world being 102. So you were, you were, you know, a young adult when World War II happened. You saw the turbulence of the 60s. You, you know, the, the, you were born right after the first, the Spanish flu pandemic. You've seen the new pandemic. You've seen the all the changes and the. I, I think a lot of people say, and you hear people talking about, well, things have never been worse, or the world is so difficult, or oh, it's never <laughs> been a more difficult time to be alive, because you know we we that's a very humanistic or natural thing to do. But you have lived over a hundred years, so when people say that kind of thing to you, like, what would how do you sort of what is your sort of mental response to that? Well, it makes me want to laugh. I had a patient. Well, I'm <laughs> several patients tell me that what was one wrong and I would be listening to them and, and they stop and say, well, well, you wouldn't understand. You've always had it so easy. And I mm. said, honey, if you only knew. 
You know, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who's even the richest people. They don't have it easy. Life is not wasn't meant to be easy. It was meant to be lived. And if you are looking for life and live, and and you're going to have to tuck some uh, love into that, in so so that you love love to live. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's what you choose. See, I I have this theory. I think when God created us, and He said, "Now I, I give you dominion over the earth." We people, we humans, thought he was saying dominance. So we said, oh, good. We can do what we want to with the earth and all this kind of thing because we're dominant. We're the ones who can choose and so on. That's not what he said at all. He said dominion. Dominion, you says, you means you take care of. You When you have a baby, you take care of that baby, you know, it's that that understanding that we human beings are have choices to make. We can choose to either destroy something, or we can choose to put our energy into the life that of our own life, so that it can juice up the life of some other aspect of, of this universe of ours. Now, Dr. Gladys, I, I, I want to finish today by asking you to tell a story from the book that I really loved. It's, it was when you were a small child, you were living in India in the 20s, and you came across Mahatma Gandhi, and, and, and it was, uh, you know, that's a really an interesting person to come across at one point or another. Ta- tell us about that, that experience and, w- and what it meant to you. Yeah, we were uh, living there in the jungle, but uh, my parents were osteopathic physicians and taking their medical work out into the jungles. But every seven and a half years, they had a furlough. Well, we this was a furlough, and we were coming back to the States. So we were in a train, and as the train slowed down at a station, there was a huge crowd of people in India there's all if you crowds of people are all around usually so that wasn't so but in front of that crowd of people there was a man and he was walking slowly uh he was dressed in his dhoti the white loincloth and carrying his lati which was his staff and people were walking behind him and he, uh, he got up to where just at the level of my window from the from the train where I was I had my face plastered against the window and I looked out and just as he moved down bent down and took a little flower from a little girl and looked up and looked into my eyes and I felt a connection at that time that was um something that has never left me. It was a soul connection that I felt he saw me and I saw him. And it was nobody else could validate that or anything else. It's something that I knew, I know to this day. But 30 years later, my parents and Gandhi worked during the partition of India 
when the people or the whole my parents were bringing their medical work to help the people who were suffering and then they were on the platform as Mahatma Gandhi helping to reach healing loving hands as he was doing so it was like a, a connection had started when I was 10 years old and had connected still to this point where my parents were doing the work that they were doing to reach to the people and Gandhi was doing the in his own way the same work and reaching to the people and helping to heal the terrific awful pain that India was going through at that time and so Gandhi appreciated what my parents were doing and gave my mother a shawl, a Kashmiri shawl, which I have in my dresser up here, and my dad a putty putty blanket. In other words, it was it was that kind of a, a relationship where the family connection was there, and uh, and and I still feel that. Wow. All right. The book is called The Well-Lived Life, A 102-Year-Old Doctor's Secret, Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at Every Age. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Gladys, you can go to her website. It's at GladysMcGarry.com. Dr. Gladys McGarry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.